Hi, I'm Maria Imes. I'm an executive coach, and this is Try This at Home. I'm opening up my executive coach's playbook to share tips and techniques I use with my clients so that you can use them at home with your kids. These coaching strategies work well with high-level executives, and they work really well for helping you keep the lines of communication open with your tween and teen. So in this podcast, you'll learn practical coaching strategies that you can put into place right away that will help you strengthen your relationship. Hey, everyone. Lately, I've been talking a lot about the power of listening. And you might be thinking, you know what, Maria, this is all fine and good. If your kid is talking, like if there's something to listen to, because I have a kid that is not forthcoming with information. And so there's nothing to listen to. Don't worry. I got you. I know teens and tweens, they typically are not forthcoming with information. They don't share a lot. But here's the thing. There's a lot of power in listening to the words, obviously, but there's also really great information you get when you listen to what's not being said. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today is how do you engage your kid in conversation when they're not talking? A couple of months ago, my good friend, we'll call her Lisa, called me on her way home from work because she was concerned about her son who's 16 years old. And we'll call him Ollie. So she calls me and she says, you know what? Something's going on with Ollie. I can I can tell. He's just not acting like himself. He's not as gregarious as he usually is. He's a little bit more quiet, withdrawn. And I know something's up. And what I love about this and what I told her is that she trusted her instincts. She knows something is going on with him. She just wasn't sure how to best engage him. Because what was happening, as you could imagine, is every time she asked him, Is everything okay with school? Is everything okay with sports? Is everything okay with this? The answers were yes, fine, yes. And we know that there are other ways that we can engage our kids in conversation because we get shut down when we ask them those kind of questions. So what's the place in the middle? I want you to imagine going to somebody's house for the first time. You either walk there, drive there, take a bus, whatever. You get there and you're outside the door and you probably knock at the door or maybe ring the doorbell and you wait. And then somebody says to you, come in or they answer the door or just a minute or whatever. The reason I bring up this example is because we're going to use it as an analogy to talk about how to invite someone into a coaching conversation. I've talked about the invite a little bit before, and it's got three parts to it. The first part is listen, the second part is open, and the third part is ask. So now we're going to line these up with this story about going over to somebody's house. The listen is the time that you're spending outside of the house. You're taking in your surroundings, you're walking up to the front door, you're noticing what's going on. The open, is you knocking on the door. And the ask is you going inside. Now, why is this important for our purposes? Because if we go back to Lisa's example, this is what we often do when our kids are not talking. We listen to what's not being said, so we're outside of the house, and then we barge in. 
We don't even knock and we start asking questions. We just go right into the house. Are you okay? Is everything okay with school? Is everything okay with this? And our kids are like, whoa, 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 you got to knock. You have to announce your presence. So it's that open, that middle ground right there that we need to focus on. And there are three strategies I'm going to go over today to help us with the open. And those are proximity, pausing, and paraphrasing. These three strategies are foundational coaching moves. I use them all the time with my clients and they work really well with kids. So let's talk about the first one, which is proximity. And it really has this unique angle when we bring it to conversations with our kids. Proximity is all about how close you are to somebody and where you position your body. Now with my clients, I'm really careful to either sit diagonal from them or next to them. And why is that? As you can imagine, it's just that physical gesture of, I am on your side. I don't want to be across from you because I don't want to create some sort of power dynamic. And I don't want any barrier in between us. So the clients that I've worked with in person know that I will sit right next to them or just at a diagonal, like at the corner of a table. And if you've never realized that before and you're a former client of mine, I want you to think about that. That is a deliberate coaching move. Now, how it applies to kids is really powerful. And just to know about working with kids. Yes, my two kids, we engage in coaching conversations all the time. But I have worked with kids over the entire course of my career. For the past 25 years, I have been in schools across the country, either as a classroom teacher, as an instructional coach, or as an administrator, as somebody from the district, or as a leadership coach. And so I have had countless hours talking with kids in the K-12 setting. And proximity is probably my favorite coaching move to make. What I do when some kid is having a hard time, when they're not engaged, when they're just withdrawn, when they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing in class, the move I make is I take a chair and I bring it up to them and I sit next to them. And just doing that is so powerful. And I would say that probably nine times out of 10, just doing that and not saying anything, not me not saying anything, that child will start talking to me. So how does this play out for you as a parent? You can create proximity. My favorite place to do it is in the car and when you're putting your kids to bed. And you might be saying, I don't put my tweener teen to bed anymore, but it's that time when you're in their room saying goodnight to them. And you know, sometimes it happens that they just are chatty in those moments. That is because you're close, it's safe. Typically the lights are off in the car. It works really well because you're next to them. You're not giving them a ton of eye contact and the car ride has a beginning and an end. They know it's going to end soon. So if you can create those two opportunities to be near, to be next to your child and not say anything, just wait 
And I'm going to get to pausing in a little bit, but this takes a lot of practice. You're going to want to rush in. You're, you're going to have an agenda. you got to check in with them. But remember, we are working on the open of a coaching conversation. We are trying to knock before we barge into the house. So just put yourself in a position with your body that you are next to them, that you are near them, and just be patient. Okay, so you're there, you're next to them, and now we're going to talk about pausing. This is such an important coaching strategy, and it takes a lot of practice and patience. Maybe there should be like five Ps here. This is going to be the hardest thing for you because you are going to want to get in there and start this conversation, but you've got to hold yourself back. We've talked a lot about giving kids time and space. And one statistic that really resonated with me when I was a teacher, I think has a lot of application here. There was a study done many, many years ago about what's called wait time. And that's the time that um, in between when a teacher asks a question to the class and when that teacher will start talking again if no child answers the question. In other words, it's the amount of time that a teacher gives the class to think and to talk about their answer, all right? So guess what the average wait time is in the classroom? If you've guessed under one second, you're right, 0.9 seconds is the average wait time. Now, that's not a lot of time. That's not a lot of time for somebody to formulate an answer and then say it. And what they found a few years later is if teachers waited at least three seconds in between asking a question and speaking again, learning outcomes improved dramatically. But then even more than that, they said the best practice is for teachers to wait five to 15 seconds before they ask a follow-up question. So I love that data because I think it has real application here. When we talk about pausing in coaching, I'm not talking about a 0.9 second pause. We're talking about a pause that gives somebody some time to process and then to contribute. So you have got to become really comfortable with some silence. So the way that I open a conversation is I put myself, I position my body, put myself next to or near and near my child, and then I just wait. And if they don't say anything, then I go to paraphrasing, which is the third strategy. And we'll get there in just a second. But this pausing, every time I say something, I pause and I wait. So it's something that you don't just do once. You're like, I pause, check, I'm done. I can keep going in the conversation. You want to do it throughout. You want to do it when you're listening. You want to do it when you're opening the conversation. You want to do it when you're asking questions. And then you want to do it in the heart of the coaching. The third strategy is paraphrasing. And just like pausing, this is a strategy that you use over and over and over again throughout a coaching conversation. So before we get into it, let's go back to our analogy of standing at somebody's front door and you're about to knock on the door. So if proximity is you raising your hand 
pausing is you're about to knock, paraphrasing is you actually knocking. So we're still not even in the house yet. We are still in the open of the invite in a coaching conversation. Essentially, paraphrasing is, it's a large bucket. There's a lot that you can do, a lot of reasons why you would paraphrase someone. You can validate someone's experience or feelings in a paraphrase. You can help organize or clarify thinking when you paraphrase. You can summarize when you paraphrase. Essentially, paraphrasing is giving back to somebody what they're giving to you. You're you're saying to them, what I'm getting from you is this. Is that correct? Now, it's easier, as you can imagine, to paraphrase someone when there are words that you can use to paraphrase. And in an earlier podcast, I noticed that my daughter was showing some emotion. So I used that when I said, sounds like you're concerned. I'm paraphrasing, I'm validating feelings that she might be having. And that might be the case for you. You might be able to paraphrase what you see, validate what you see as your child's emotion as a way to get into the conversation. However, teens and tweens are really good at being stoic and not giving you anything. So if that's the case, because we're really focusing right now on what to do when no one's talking, what to do when no one's giving you anything. Even if you have put yourself in proximity with them and paused and just waited, if still nothing is being said, nothing's being shared, what I like to do is take a step back in my paraphrasing and share something that I'm noticing. When you're sharing what you're noticing, you want to be as objective as possible and you want to make sure that you pay attention to your tone. So let's go back to the Lisa and Ollie example. When Lisa called me, she was sharing with me what she had noticed. Hey, Ollie's, there's something going on. He's more withdrawn than usual. He's not as gregarious. And she could take that information. And after she got near him, next to him, paused, waited, she could share what she noticed. And what I would recommend in this situation is to really think about yourself as like a sportscaster giving a play-by-play of what you're seeing or hearing or not hearing, what you're noticing, so that you do try to stay as objective as possible and take any sort of judgment out of it. So she could say something like this. Hey, I noticed that after dinner, you head to your room and I don't see you for the rest of the evening. That's pretty objective. I had a friend just the other week pull me aside in the grocery store and say, hey, I am having the hardest time with Kim. You know, it's really hard to come up with names for people on the the fly. I'm really trying to think of names that my kids are not friends with anybody with those names. So, okay, nobody's friends with somebody named Kim. Anyway, you know, she was saying, we're having the hardest time with Kim. Like, she's not talking to us. She's so angry. It's just like this very unpleasant situation in the household. Now, if she goes to Kim and gives her all of that information, what do you think is going to happen? So in that situation, I would say, what are you noticing? What is she doing? And maybe my friend would say, you know what? She, every, you know, when we try to talk to her, she stomps up the stairs and she rolls her eyes and she slams the door. 
And that's the information that you could give to your child. You could say, hey, you know, I noticed that last night when I wanted to talk to you, you stomped up the stairs, rolled your eyes, and slammed the door. So you notice the tone in my delivery is really light. It's not shaming. It's, hey, I'm putting this out there. Because remember, when we're paraphrasing, we're saying, is this right? This is what I'm getting from you. Can you confirm this? When I'm in the classroom with kids and I was next to them and I was pausing, and even if they didn't say anything at the point, I would say, hey, I'm noticing that you're not reading. I'm noticing that you're not engaging. And here's the key. Pause. So you're sharing the noticing and then you're pausing. You're not rushing in there with a question like, what's up? What's going on? Because remember, we're, we just knocked at the door. We just knocked. We're not going to barge in. We're waiting. We're waiting for our child to say, come in. And the way they say, come in, is they engage in conversation with us. Now, they might not say, yes, you got it. You're on to me. But they might give us a nod. They might say, no, you're wrong. They might do something like that, but we're looking for engagement. So until they give us a sign off that they're willing to engage, we've got to keep knocking. So let's go back to the Lisa Ollie example. Maybe she said that to him. Maybe she says to him, hey, I noticed that after dinner, you retreat to your room and you don't, you're not coming out and um, you're going to bed. And she doesn't say anything. Chances are he will say something like, yeah, I'm just busy with school. But that's a sign off. She can then start engaging him around school. But what if he doesn't say anything? Because I know where you're thinking. You're like, okay, but what if this happens? What if he still doesn't say anything? That's okay. That's okay. All you do in those situations is you end the conversation. And in that case, she could have said to him, I really miss chatting with you at night and left. But the point here is what you're doing when you're knocking on the door, when you're trying to open a coaching conversation, is you're telling your child, I see you. I'm here. I'm on to you. And I'm available. Because you know that this isn't going to be the last time you try to engage with them. And there have been many times in my own house where I've tried to engage with one of my kids. They don't want anything to do with me. And then it's later that night or it's the next day or maybe even the next week. They open up the conversation. So back to Lisa and Ollie. I'm sure you're very invested at this point in what happened. Well, I hate to disappoint you, but you'll have to come back to a future episode when I talk about asking questions, because that's the strategy that Lisa put into place that really opened up the coaching conversation she had with her son. But until then, these three foundational strategies that we covered today, proximity, pausing, and paraphrasing, are incredibly powerful, and they can really help you engage with your kid who might not be forthcoming with information. So... Try them at home.